welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy. This is your host, Minion, also known as Rob. Well, it really feels like spring 2023 is on its way. We've had a mixed, a mixed bag of weather here. Um, it's been quite warm at times, then it's really turned around and we've had lots of rain. In fact, I had some visitors, uh, friends of the family, arriving from this small village or town that my family live in in Scotland, and they were visiting Japan and travelling in Kyoto, so I went out drinking with them. But they they were actually got sunburned, so obviously it's a little bit warmer here than it may be in, say, the north in the north of Britain, uh, Scotland, if you prefer, but. Uh, um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, but you know the weather's turning around. It's um, pretty decent. We had a bit, a bit of thunder, um, some thunder over the last uh, couple of days, or it's sort of echoing away in the hills, um, which is interesting for this time of year. So really changeable. Um, you can these colder fronts, the colder air mixing with the the damper kind of warmer air. You don't want to hear about the weather. No, you don't want to hear about me meeting family and drinking too much. Uh, family and friends, that is. No, you've, you've come here for the role-playing, probably. So, what have we been up to? Well, I'm going to go into some uh, game overviews, um, like uh, session recaps, if you if you prefer, later on. Uh, and I'm going to ha- go have, before that, we'll, we'll listen to a couple of call-ins. I had a call-in from Joe of Hindsightless uh, Podcast, and also from Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Before that, I'll just give you a quick rundown of what I've been doing. Most pertinently, stuff relating to this hobby, right? So um, I've started doing a lot of hex-related stuff. Now, for those who might not know, I, I've been running a Advanced Dungeons & Dragons campaign since about nine, uh, 2019, 2019. And that was in an effort to get back into the hobby and also DM, uh, DM a, a version of the game that I was more familiar with. And I settled on the first edition of Dungeons and Dragons because I, I thought it'd be interesting. And I thought I was curious to see if there were, would be any people who would be interested in playing that version of the game uh, as opposed to one of the more modern or popular versions. Well, you know, I say more popular. Um, I, I think first edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, uh, AD&D for short, um, is still quite popular amongst a certain set of people. But in the scheme of things, it's, you know, it's fairly minor and uh, has, at its best, it has a kind of a difficult to understand feel about it. And, uh, for other people, that you know, they may have uh, other reactions to it and there's, there's certain issues about the game that uh, they may have but you know really down when it comes down to the rules it's more like a problem of presentation or ease of access well so here we are um many years not many years later but a few years down the road we've just celebrated our uh, fourth anniversary of that group um this month and we're still playing session recap is coming as i said so i'm getting back into the excuse me i'm getting back into looking at the campaign 
And although it started in the village of Homlet, we're currently uh, in the, the region, the, the broken lands called the Pomarge. These are, uh, not to go into too much detail, these are um, old baronies that basically collapsed uh, due to infighting and the mercenaries which they used for this infighting, largely humanoids or, you know, of orc, uh, null, goblin, hobgoblin descent, th- these creatures have basically become the 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 tribal kind of uh, powers in the in the land, and the actual baronies have long since disappeared. Humans are quite rare now in the Pomarge, and in fact they are a a subjugated people, the humans or demi-humans, if they exist at all. Uh, and where they do exist, they tend to be, as I said, subjugated, so they are enslaved. And the 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 game that we're running around this is the A series, which is known as, was retitled uh, The Scourge of the Slave Lords. It was re-released as a, in that format, but it you got these slavers or the slave lords um, series of A1 to A4, four different adventure modules. We've done the first and the second, you know, as well as they could. They haven't like cleared these things out room to room. That's not the way we were playing it. And that's one of the reasons why I've kind of changed this style uh, again. After the end of the Temple of Elemental Evil campaign, that I was running, I felt that the the fun of the original Homlet started to really dry up as we were playing the the later um, extension of that, which was the Temple of Elemental Evil. And I wasn't enjoying the way that the the dungeon was playing out, and, and the idea of this central relic um, in the game, which I won't go into detail here, that really controls the unfolding of events. It creates a scenario where the players have to do something um, and go somewhere. And and it's extremely difficult, actually, um, because in many cases, they don't really have the magical protections that they require in order to go through with this quest. And they're not necessarily given in the adventures. Well, after a couple of years of playing the Temple of Elemental Camp, uh, evil campaign, I decided to sort of say, well, you've you've managed to achieve this, you've got this, let's um, bring in other forces and shut down the temple. So through the story, you know, through a narrative of the story, they use their allies uh, externally to destroy the uh, the uh, problem that they were facing, the issue, the, uh, the evil in the land, let's say, just to kind of make it a little bit ambiguous in case you've never played this adventure. And after that, um, when we haven't always been playing Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, uh, some of you may know that I've been playing some RuneQuest more recently, but uh, we've we've returned again and again, and uh, in fact we've changed s- system as well, but that's not really a big issue, you know, mostly it's it's been first edition or original Dungeons and Dragons. Now, when I came back and started the Slavers series, the Slave Lords series, let's call it. That's a little, they're, they're both rather unpalatable uh, these days, but uh, we'll call it the Slave Lords or the A series. Let's call it the A series. Eh? So 
you it's quite an interesting series because they were designed for a competition play and um i thought well you know let's just have fun with this so instead of being a real stickler for um equipment and and rations and everything else all the 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 getting across the land the getting there part i thought well let's play it not quite as a competition module but in the sense that it's sort of you know you're going in there you're trying to fulfill a mission and get out again right you're not necessarily trying to clear the whole thing so i tried to i hope i approached it in a way that was closer to a more uh, swords and sorcery feel um that they were they were mercenaries doing this job and they may be doing it for a certain good but they were trying to close down these the these slavers uh for rewards and for political reasons as opposed to simply good versus evil hmm. well you know we've played through two modules like that and i've hand waved a lot of the overland travel the the getting from the wild coast down by ship to the to highport for example or for traveling across the land to the next location but now i want to ch- change things around a little bit and the catalyst for that really has been actually ravenloft which i've inserted it in between a2 and a3 which we may w- well be doing next now i've put the original ravenloft adventure in the pomarge in the Drakens Grab Hills, the Drakens Grab Hills, uh, and I've intentionally placed it on a, a position where the 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 river, the Jewel River, bends out, and so it's very close, uh, within miles of uh, the the border. If you can cross that huge river uh, into the Principality of Ulek, because I want there to be a possibility for them to make. Barovia, if they can somehow clear it or of its evil, if they can clear this land of its evil, because it's not in some demi-plane, like, you know, as if it was, uh, <laughs> I try not to be rude, uh, it's not in a demi-plane as, was re, as it was when it was reimagined in the second edition on, onwards. Uh, Barovia is just a, a, you know, a part of a land, um, and it's controlled by this evil force, but what happens if they can overthrow this force that they can can they free the peoples there can they also find places for the slaves that they've freed to settle and if so what can they do to make this land more habitable to be more safe um well that suddenly kind of changes the way that the the campaign is moving and so i've started to look at hexes and i probably want to go a bit more in detail but now i realize maybe i should do the recap for ravenloft at least after the next uh, messages the, the call-ins from uh, from joe and jason so i'm going to break here i think i'm going to come back to this after the recap First up on the call-ins this uh, episode, we've got Joe Richter of Hindsightless Podcast. Um, Joe is calling back. I can't remember what I was ranting about. I was probably, it seems, that I was 
sort of suggesting that the way that the 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 current holder owner of the world's greatest role playing game so called manages the the game is in such a way that it sort of divides the community and uh, i may have said something about the rules and how it shapes the rules and our control over the rules as opposed to the company's control uh, micromanagement of the rules it helps to sort of create the community in our shared experience or or and if we can't do that somehow that that ability to to create that community ourselves is taken away from us i probably didn't even say that but anyway here's joe and uh, he rightfully points out that it doesn't really matter <laughs> it doesn't really matter and it doesn't matter what system we're playing um but anyway he will he will uh, he'll discuss that and uh, you can see if that makes any sense with what i just said or if i've just uh, misinterpreted it anyway thank you so much joe <laughs> what's up dude you called my name a couple times so here i am man i i hear what you're saying i i feel where you're coming from dude i get it i get it my counter to it would be the rules aren't the shared experience the shared experience is the experience that we share together of playing a game it doesn't matter what game we still have the shared experience. So here's an example. Say you run Keep Off the Borderlands in AD. <laughs> nice. I said Keep Off the Borderlands. Too good of a name. Uh, say you run Keep On the Borderlands using AD&D. And I run it using something like friggin' Monster Hearts, right? You and I have the shared experience now of both playing keep on the borderlands and we can talk about all the quirky bits how the npcs don't have names and all that stuff all that fun stuff we can talk about all that stuff even though we played with totally different rule sets because the rules they're just a framework for play it's like playing on a different jungle gym you know you and your friends are playing on one jungle gym then you go to a next you're still playing with your friends you're just on a different jungle gym so yeah man ultimately what Watsy does over there, they are corporate shits and they're going to do some greedy corporate shit. So I don't care because it doesn't affect my table. But that's just me, man. Uh, anyway, back to the episode. Awesome to hear you on the mic, dude. Take it easy. Kyoto rules. Peace out. All right. Next up is Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And Jason has called in to say, Fui, Fui. Um, I, of course, accidentally or incorrectly called Tunnels and Trolls a, a variant of Dungeons and Dragons. I'm not sure if I actually used that word, um, but I certainly didn't mean it in that sense. But uh, anyway, here's here's Jason uh, to put me right. D&D variant indeed. My hackles are raised, sir. I would not call Tunnels and Trolls a D&D variant. Uh, Empire of the Petal Throne, Arduin. Those, I think we can fairly say, are D&D variants. They're definitely, obviously, taking the D&D rules and adding to and changing some things. Tunnels and Trolls definitely takes inspiration in some things from D&D, but for the most part was written from the ground up as a separate game, to be fair to Ken St. Andre. I mean, you know, it really is the first unique game from that, right? Um, not, although, you know, in the same year we get 
uh, Boot Hill. And interesting enough, looking at Andrew's call, the idea of, you know, well, why to have, have the attribute range 3 to, 18, 3 to 18 when each number doesn't, each separate number doesn't mean a separate thing, right? Doesn't have a separate value. That is actually fixed when you look at tunnels and trolls because when you go up in experience, you increase your attributes. So in tunnels and trolls, it makes sense to have the different numbers and, and you know, have a range of numbers because you're, you're continually raising your attributes. Um, in Boot Hill also, as you win gunfights, your, your attributes, at least some of your attributes, are going to go up. So, you know, there's some reason to have a differentiation in there. Um, but, yeah, with the with D&D, the 3 to 18, and, the, you know, really not having the ability to raise them. Now, if you could raise attributes in D&D, you know, in a regular basis, not just with wish spells or something, they, other, there are other ways to raise attributes, you know, magic items. But for the most part, you can't raise attributes in D&D, so it doesn't really make sense. If you could raise attributes like you can in Tunnels and Trolls, then having that range might make more sense. Uh, but, yeah, interesting discussion. Uh, keep up the great work, and I will talk to you soon. So about a week ago, we had our fourth session of Ravenloft, the original uh, adventure module by Tracy and Laura Hickman. It was released in 1982 or three, I believe. Anyway, um, fourth session. Last time I talked about this, we had finished. Uh, well, I had. They had been taken to this point, brought them up to a point where they were making a negotiation. They were talking, parlaying with with Strahd, uh, so famous that mentioning his name isn't really isn't really a spoiler, is it? So they met him in a particular room um, after climbing up into the castle, up to the second, third floor, actually, uh, second floor above ground level, something like that. And, yeah, so they, they um, knew that they were facing a powerful opponent and discussed ways how they could... Uh, handle him and as you might remember he was looking for something a a component that would allow him to create a magical artifact that would enable him to move more freely in this world or perhaps another world but he had learned that the player character party were in possession of this component and had been told this, it seems, by a small coven of uh, evil witches um, who the party haven't actually come into contact with, but they had this kind of strange image through the use of ESP uh, potions and uh, spells and so on. Now, whether spells do that kind of thing is really irrelevant, but uh, surface emotions, surface feelings and thoughts, I, I sometimes give them a little bit extra. So the the group were caught into in this ethical dilemma, as I've previously mentioned. But over the uh, course of uh, the week or two weeks between session three and session four, they had decided that it really wasn't tenable, that they could not play, uh, um, they could not c- sort of carry out this kind of deal 
with Strad and have potential uh, consequences on their conscience. That is, if he started murdering people all over the world, he uh, or increased his power because of their through their actions, uh, that would then, you know, lead them or or put them in a a very uh, difficult or uncomfortable position where they would suddenly be the cause of a great evil, unleashing a great evil on their world, in their world, or perhaps further afield, you know, in, in the multiverse at large. So they 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 decided they were going to fight him at some point. Now, a lot of the trickery came in and they were trying to play him. They went off for a chat and stuff. Meanwhile, Strahd is getting very frustrated and annoyed and he's unable to really control that rage it's starting to build up and he's still has his esp spell up so he he knows that they're plotting something they're trying to 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 deprive him or to resist his will his his uh driving will to break out of barovia and uh have a degree of freedom that has been denied him since he became a vampire so he starts to take precautions at first. Uh, the first thing he does is, they do not know this, he casts a whole portal spell on one of the doors to control their movement through the castle. Uh, and that's on the door of the other chamber that they've gone into. And he also um, he also starts to buff himself up by casting some spells. Now, one of the spells he casts on himself is invisibility. And the idea is that he's going to channel, um, he's going to channel the party and he comes to this, this solution to his problem. He doesn't need the party to be alive in order to find out where the pearl is or to control them. Um, or he doesn't need the entire party alive. So he decides he's going to kill them all. And the way he's going to do this is to channel them uh, by using whole portal lovers things he's going to channel them into a very dangerous area and that's his plan and he's going to do this by um either causing them to run or to fight them in hand to hand but as things heat up he becomes so enraged that he actually flings open the door and he throws a fireball into the chamber, <laughs> totally taking the party by surprise. Now, it's a 10d6 damage fireball, and these these players have, you know, um, at lowest they have about 13 hit points, at highest maybe 40, low 40s, right? I roll um, something like 33 damage on the fireball. So. A number of them don't make their saving throws, a number of them do. Uh, luckily, most of the party had over 33 hit points. Um, one of them was knocked down to one hit point. Um, others made the saving throw. The thief uh, had stolen previously, he had stolen from one of the slave lords a ring of fire resistance, which really came in helpful for him. And uh, but one of the players, the, the wizard, naturally, because they have the lowest hit points, um, made the saving throw, which was great, because otherwise they would have been completely incinerated. But they still took more hit points than they had, so they were knocked down into minus two, onto my, minus two or three hit points. Quite badly, badly injured. 
Now, by casting the fireball, Strad had hoped to close the door in time, but since he's on his own, I didn't want to give the players too much of a benefit, you know, too much of a, uh, a penalty here because Strad's an incredibly difficult opponent to fight. So I, I decided to just say, well, he he gets the same throw too, like anybody else, maybe a slight bonus. However, Strad completely felt on his saving throw, and therefore he took damage from the fireball too. Um, for those who don't know, the fireball in first and second edition has a kind of, um, what's the term? Blowback is not the term, is it? You know what I'm trying to get at. It has this, uh, it, it has an area of effect in uh, cubic feet. And if the ceiling is of a certain height or not high, high enough, obviously that still fills the same space. So what happens is the, the fire of the fireball just keeps on expanding out. And uh, it's, you need to go online to really appreciate how much, how great the area, potential area of effect of a fireball can be expanded due to, you know, healing uh, and corridor width and healing uh, height limitations. Um, and there's some good uh, things online to show you how that might work. But anyway, he, he uh, the room which he was in was engulfed in flames. He was burnt for 33 damage as well, which quite seriously injured him um, slightly over half of his hit points and uh, we had to, so we had the situation where the party were now on just a few hit points each except for the thief uh, one of the party members was uh, bleeding in a critical condition and and um, bleeding to death uh, Irina the the uh, woman that, who they had traveled who had been bitten by Strahd and who had travelled with them to Ravenloft was utterly incinerated, as was one of the other potential brides of Strahd in the other room. So it was a complete, uh, it was a complete bloodbath for Fireball. Um, Fireball, yeah. Um, now the party uh, basically sort of managed to turn this around. I don't want to go into too much detail, but they they uh, turned it around really well. And with a few well-placed healing spells and some other effects and uh, magical item use uh, and general attacks. Now, one of the, the fighter, the fighter in the party has a flame tongue, I believe it's called a firebrand. I forget what it's, the true name is anyway, but it's really effective. It's a plus four sword against undead. So um, they actually took Strahd down. Um, and he was forced into gaseous form. Now, the gaseous form, as far as I can see, at least if it's the same as the potion of gaseous form in the Dungeon Master's Guide, has a very slow movement rate, so they decide to track. They, now, they brought up the illusionist by this time, right, using a, a, a spell, and I'm not really punishing them too much by by bringing somebody up from zero hit points. Uh, that's another co topic of conversation. So I allowed him to limp on, now they decided to track Strahd. So what happened was this chase through the castle as they follow the uh, follow Strahd through various concealed exits and secret doors, and they had to locate them and then try to catch up with him. It led them on this uh, fascinating uh, chase through the castle uh, using ropes. Actually, they descended through this huge shaft that runs down part of the castle through a number of layers. Uh, they they followed Strahd into the into the um, catacombs ultimately and 
the catacombs are partly flooded. Well, not the full catacombs, but the, the, the prison area and so on. They had to do some more climbing. They kind of lost Strahd, but they started to use, they used their locate object using the image of uh, Strahd's clothing, his um, his cape um, as the object they were following. So they then used this beautiful spell to track Strahd. Well done to the cleric for uh, preparing that. So not quite knowing which way he'd gone, they still managed to follow him. They couldn't track him, obviously. He's gaseous form, so the ranger was unable to look for any tracks. However, then they were then uh, they were then uh, dumped. Uh, they're currently dumped and had a problem with a, a trap. I won't go into too much detail, but uh, they bypassed some tra traps really well, actually, in this adventure by using using various kind of uh, ideas like throwing copper coins in certain places. Um, where they thought there would be teleporters and all sorts of things like that. So it's quite, uh, they really, really are playing this so well. So we're currently uh, very close to the catacombs, except two of the two of the party have um, have fallen down a, a trap door and need to be rescued. And I think I'm going to do that in not too uh, difficult a, a, a way, because I don't want to have this frustrating sort of issue of having the party retrace their way through the dungeon, getting caught in portcullises and trying to force open doors, um, when really what we should be doing is focusing on this this last area, you know, the catacombs. So they are really getting close to the end of the adventure, um, which is great. They found a, a, a brilliant way of finding... Uh, getting towards the catacombs where they believe Strahd's uh, tomb is. But the story's not over yet because there's a lot more little surprises in store for them, potentially, uh, really, at this point. Um, so um, that's, uh, yeah, that's more or less a recap of the adventure. Um, how did it play out uh, beyond that, beyond that kind of like very forensic sort of case-by-case, -case sort of blow-by-blow -blow, uh, um, description of events. Well, I think, I think everybody enjoyed it a lot. It was felt really high paced. Um, <clears throat> starting off with that battle with Strahd right at the beginning, these 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 very um, stilted negotiations, this uh, this ploy on their part to to trick him to, and then this fury of Strahd which erupted in this uh, this uh, rather ridiculous and, and overblown attack or use of fireball um, really reminded them how dangerous this opponent was but also uh, underlined the dangerous things of things like fireball when not used properly which is an important and interesting feature of the game a characteristic of the game the way that spells even a fireball it's a very powerful spell you get it at third level. In some ways, it's more powerful than spells higher than it, but the way that it's used is important. It has limitations, and the these little things that are slipped into play, I think, I hope, uh, really highlight the the way this game runs and the importance of the importance of sort of planning ideas, not not simply uh, numbers, uh, numbers and and stuff like that so I had a good time I really enjoyed it um, I loved being able to the fact that they were 
tracking stride through the car so it's just so brilliant and it i hadn't anticipated it at all hadn't anticipated the idea that they might track the follow him down to his his crypt using his uh following this gaseous you know form hadn't thought that they might have locate object and use that to also uh, track him um so i'm really surprised by the players they were surprised by me and uh, i think we had a good session had a lot of fun um really looking forward to the next one or two sessions it could be um that final crunch now if all goes well, they're going to go just straight to Strand, right? And he's going to be totally out of it. I mean, yeah, yes, vampires do regenerate three hit points around, but at least the way I'm interpreting it, once they're knocked down to zero, they need to spend eight hours in their tomb in order to regenerate uh, uh, and and then, you know, obviously get their hit, start getting their hit points back. I'm not going to say no he's back on full hit points and he's fine in his grave he just got to stay in his uh, his coffin no 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 um if they can get him in the coffin and in this state he'll be completely at their mercy right so it could be very fast the next session but somehow i don't think so i don't think they're going to be that lucky i think there's a lot of little tricks and traps and, and um potential uh, opponents that could turn it completely around so um yeah really looking forward to the next session which is the fifth what's that fifth session now and it'll be next sunday a week almost a week just over a week from today right and that is my recap for the fourth session of ravenloft so here's the second part of the talk on hexes me and hexes i'm not vexed by hexes i'm looking at uh, a number of maps that i've been writing up and as i've sort of discussed and as i was mentioning uh, with regard to ravenloft i'm they're reaching this point where they may be able to to kind of free this village uh perhaps even cleanse a very powerful castle um and start extending their power. It's probably the wrong word, a way to phrase it, but extending their power over the local area. And there's reasons, as I've already mentioned, for doing this. One is to protect the the freed peoples that they've they've uh, liberated from the slavers, because this place, Barovia, is uh, partly kind of empty. I mean, a lot of the houses there are empty, so there's a potential living space. Another point to bear in mind is that the area, the the uh, the land here is hilly and forested. It's quite protected, or has been till now, from the rest of the Pomarge in my personal campaign. That means that they they haven't had to worry about the the intrusion of of a humanoids or of but the reason for that is of course that they've been under this uh, terrible curse of Strad and they've been unable to leave their village but with or if the curse of Strad is removed from Barovia 
they will lose the their their they will become they will be liberated from Stroud, of course, right? But at the same time, they're no longer protected from what lies outside their borders, and this is where the player characters come in. So if they see their job as being protectors of these this small pocket of freed slaves and um, and local villages, one of the last pockets of, of villagers in the Pomage region of, of human inhabitants living freely, how does that affect them? And will they decide to to set up a stronghold here to protect their 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 interests, that's not the right word, to protect the, the way of life, the people that they have uh, decided to, to look after, to side with. Right, so if that's the case, what do I do? I, I, they're looking at being level, some of them are already level seven and eight. Um, they're moving up into the, the high levels now. The lowest character is level six. He's a ranger and he's more XP. Uh, there's a, the illusionist magic user, um, dual class character is level six six, so they're moving. Those two are moving into level seven. The level sevens are moving up into level eight, roughly, and the level eight thief is about level nine. They're becoming name level. Now, it seems like a really good opportunity to really focus in on the pomage, and also. Uh, exploration, the exploration of hexes, and the idea of domains uh, and things like guilds and strongholds and so on. And that was a still a part of the rules. Um, you can say it still is now, and uh, it was in the second edition. Exploration of hexes, hex travel, was very much watered down, I believe, in the second edition onwards. Um, it's there. And some of the rules that I'm starting to look at are actually based on stuff in the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide. But what's really excited me about this is that I, I got um, I got a resource for high-level OSR gameplay by Todd Todd Leback or Leback, and it's ostensibly for use with old school essentials but it can be used for any kind of um, old school game or even just changed and used for any type of D&D or other role playing game I suppose if you're if you're uh, able to adapt it it's called Into the Wild and I first I first heard about this from uh, uh, Free For All uh, um, on Keep Off the Borderlands podcast I got it. Uh, I was really quite impressed with it, but I wasn't sure how I would use this in my campaign. And mostly I was thinking of the campaign that I run online for Old School Essentials. But more recently I've come back to it and I've been looking at the idea of hex crawling and domains and how they're presented in these rules. Now, this is actually a collection of other ones and the price of this book actually has gone up quite considerably. Uh, I think it's been re-edited and uh, issued. So it's about 30 40 pounds uh, 30 40 dollars now uh, when i got it, it was about 20 something dollars so i'm glad i got that i've also got one also by the in the same series the populated hex crawl series a guide to thieves guild which is great it gives you 
a lot of tools for setting up thieves guilds and how they operate, how they work, how they survive, the economics of that. Um, too much detail? Maybe, maybe, maybe not though. Maybe really interesting at a high level. And they both point to other things as well, other resources which I have bought and downloaded. So I have those two in in print. And if I can get a spare finger to open my way, here we go, opening my iPad because I try to keep a lot of stuff on the digi digitally now because of postage. I downloaded something called Hexcrawl Basics, which again is from the populated Hexcrawl series. Now you can get this from uh, Drive Through RPG, and it's free. I will pay what you want. Um, and since I've been paying a lot on from this series, I just downloaded it for free because it's quite a small one, but it's sort of essential. Gives you the basics. Uh, ideas, uh, rules that are already presented in the other ones, but in one place. The one I did pay for money for, which was about ten dollars, was a was a supplement called Filling in the Blanks, same series, and it's really the 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 core one after Hexcrawl Basics. Filling in the blanks is what allows you to populate hexes with uh, layers layers so huge layers of monsters right it could be hundreds of them the layers and thereby working out which monsters live where and what they're doing how they're how they're existing or coexisting or or in conflict conflict with each other how they um yeah and then up features as well geo geographic features um mines things like this i don't know bridges waterworks i don't know so um what you it gives you is the idea of using a a small hex of 1.2 and five of those uh, from surface to surface. So that gives you um, 31 full or sub or or semi uh, sub hexes in one six mile hex. That's six miles from from surface to surface. So each small hex inside that is 1.2 miles, right? Five of those, that's six miles. Now, this is great because, although it sounds really complicated, if you go and look at some of these things, you'll see how you can really sort of adapt it and change it as you need. I, I created a map using the standard 30-mile hexes used in the original World of Greyhawk uh, setting. Uh, and a, I'm talking about the, goodness, what's it called? The original one is about 1981, the Gazetteer. There we go, the World of Gazetteer and the later box set as well. So the, the map that was created by Darlene, um, beautiful map that it is, is on a, these 30 mile hexes. And I've basically made my own Pomarge 30 mile hex map using two pieces of hex paper. And it's essentially the same map as in the original World of Greyhawk, except that it's more manageable for me because it's on. I'm just looking at two maps, uh, the Western Pomarge and the Eastern Pomarge. I've got it separated like that. Um, the Western Pomarge is a little bit of the Principality of Ulek and some of the Wild Coast, perhaps, uh, on the north side, you know, some, you know, the seas. The Eastern Pomarge is, you know, it's this peninsula well, it's not really a peninsula because it's so thick but it's this outcrop of uh, of the continent 
going into the Sea, sea of Girnat. Not sure how you're supposed to pronounce that, but it's probably something like that. So one of these hexes is 30 miles. So each of those 30 miles, if you then use another scale, includes um, 31 full or partial um, six mile hexes. Now these six mile hexes, so you've got, that's the same thing, right? So you've got six of these six mile, sorry, five of these six mile hexes from surface to surface of these 30 mile hexes. Um, and that is, I'm not trying not to confuse you, but I'm sure I am. That is 30 miles. Then if you break down the six miles, you've got these 1.2. So the 1.2 unit, you don't need that scale, right? What are you doing? You're not going to map out the whole world. Are you crazy? No, no, that's not the, the point. The point is to to have the 30 mile uh, hex size. But when we're, we're doing something important when we're moving through the land and it's essential they're looking for something they're exploring then we might go down to the six mile hexes right and you don't need all the detail you don't have to populate these hexes individually uh, necessarily although there are ways of doing it on a larger scale as opposed to a minute scale um, similarly uh, it, on the six if you're looking something very uh, specific, you can move down from the six mile hex scale to the 1.2 mile hex scale. Um, and going through these sub hexes, these 1.2 mile hexes, um, you can actually find each thing in it, the resources, the, the layers, whatever it is you're looking for. Now this exploration, that level of exploration is particularly useful. And I'm coming back to the beginning now. It's particularly useful when you are trying to settle a land or to move, make it uh, less wild. Okay, I don't want to say the word civilized because you know that has a lot of connotations. But say the players decide that they want to make the land around uh, Barovia less threatening and somehow maybe uh, create a pathway down to the river Jewel the Jewel River and the, the, principality, the principality of Ulek beyond that, well, they're here, they can. They can actually, they can actually go into the hexes. They can, they can take out any big threats. They can clear out any layers. Uh, if they need to, they can hire um, mercenaries at some point to, to help them do this. To, and then they can hire mercenaries to patrol these areas or they can raise militia to ensure that the local area, the, the six mile hex um, around them is, is clear. So at least they have a, a relative level of safety in the village of Barovia and they can start to uh, use that as a, as a, a safe haven. Um, and of course, you know, if you, if you uh, make enough of these one mile, 1.2 mile, you know, sub hexes safe, that becomes a six mile hex. If you make enough of those, that's, uh, you know, like a, a 30 mile uh, hex space or, or less. So they don't have to do a whole 30 mile, but if they can clear, say, uh, 20, roughly 20 miles uh, of hexes, that's quite a huge area. Um, and that's enough actually to start their own like barony if the, the fighter gets to level nine, for example. Um, and they could say, try to get, they could 
manage it on their own or they could try and get some kind of uh, status um, vassal status from the principality of Ulick. there's there's all sorts of ways that this could play out um, and so although they don't have to do that um, it does enable us to to have that fallback um, and a, a very kind of uh, anarchic landscape that can be brought under a certain degree of order so that people can live an ordinary uh, or reasonable standard of uh, life there and um, a lot of adventure possibilities in doing that uh, including yeah including uh, stronghold land domain management and, and perhaps some kind of uh, battle system of yeah that's yet to be considered and of course, they can go on to the next parts of the the adventure, the A3 and A4, if they wish to really break up and uh, and negate to to nullify the the threat posed by the biggest force in this region, which is the slavers. They are the most dangerous force. They have the ability to perhaps use their their currently increasing wealth and status to bind the, the various. Um, diverse that's the wrong word various um various tribes underneath them you know the various sort of warring orc hobgoblin and goblin tribes no tribes they can they can they have the potential to bring that together and become a very dangerous force a, a big threat um so really interesting um i think the pl- players who that might really I know they really want to start developing things like thieves guilds and, and domains and they've been trying to do that and till now they've been stuck in Homlet and it's it's already it's in a lot of that lands already belongs to somebody is occupied by somebody but here it's real frontier land and it's land that used to belong to uh, a, a civilization that was unable to manage itself and collapsed, uh, and is now a is now a bandit country, it's slave slavers country, and so there's a real kind of exciting opportunity for them to break in, to to improve things, to make make things better, um, not simply land grab, right? So yeah, really uh, enjoying the way this is shaping up and. Although I'm not going to like map out hex after hex after hex, I now seem to I have the the framework, I have the materials, but I also have the mental kind of framework to work out how to do that. Um, and it doesn't look as scary as it did before, um, and that, that's really great. Of course, one more thing I've I haven't mentioned. It's not really important, but I've, I've written up a character log. So I used to always keep really good uh, documents of the characters, their their stats, their major abilities, notes about their names, players, and so on. And I stopped doing it for a long time. And I, I really need to, as part of this revival of the game, to to up my game, do a bit of prep, and just keep better um, better logs, better records of of everything, so that's not so um, chaotic. But I really enjoyed it. The more, most important thing that I'll leave you on is I really enjoyed colouring these uh, the hex, the outer hex maps of the the whole Pomage region 
using colored pencils and pens and pencils in general and um, adding the hex numbers to each little hex in the bottom corner with a little fine pen it's been really kind of it's really been enjoyable and uh, I think I've done a better although it's nothing professional I've done a a very useful uncluttered um, map that looks good and will inspire me to really bring to life these old modules which if you don't bring them to life they're very flat but if you do they have so much scope um i've said this before with with the 17 page original village of homlet there's so much so much condensed in there if you can bring it out if you can make a few notes if you can bring out that detail um it's so much better than uh, a more planned and event-driven style of uh, adventure uh, in my in my opinion anyway so whatever uh, whatever that means to you it certainly really excites me and motivates me to continue with AD&D Osric um, for a little while yeah I think I think there's still a lot of potential here and uh, um, I'm excited about it so that's everything thank you very much for listening so far all right thank you so much for listening this far into the podcast into the episode it's been much longer than i expected but i guess i had a few things to talk about which is uh probably not a bad thing or at least from my perspective anyway hopefully it wasn't too painful for you um we've got some work going on outside so if you hear hammering that's uh, the construction workers there fixing up the cladding the tiles and so on the, the whole building of our condominium building has been re- revived and revamped um, it's part of the ongoing they've got to do this all the time because of general wear and tear obviously in the country it gets a lot of earthquakes that's a that's an important thing so um right uh, thank you so much for listening so far got a few more game reports um the uh, horned rat game has been a lot of fun that's the warhammer fantasy role-playing game uh, campaign the enemy within or whatever it's called nowadays um that's still going i'm not going to say anything now because that'll take forever um the wednesday group the wednesday dnd wednesday night dnd club group that i run online um, we've just finished the halls of the blood king for old school essentials we've had a few problems um sometimes people haven't been able to make sessions and we got to a point where we had to cancel the previous uh, two weeks ago one of the previous sessions because we just didn't have the players to do it um, and it was a really crucial point crucial point because they had been really badly damaged um, some of them were bleeding out dying and uh, yeah so this time uh, again one of the players said he couldn't manage it so we we decided just to go ahead um had a had a pretty good session what does that mean um i probably should do a recap of this as well at some point but we completed we completed the adventure in a in an interesting way um in order to complete i won't again i won't give uh, spoilers and perhaps i shouldn't do a recap anyway to in order to uh, to prevent that but um the the in order to complete the adventure there's a few ways you can do it besides running away which they didn't really want to do and one of the players decided to sacrifice himself in order to 
to destroy the threat, the threat they were facing, um, probably the Blood King, right? You can get that from the title. Um, and he did it in a really good way. Um, the other players got out of the uh, area um, and lucky enough, yeah, it was just far enough to be safe from the very devastating um, effect or that he unleashed and one of the other effects it had was to kill the to kill the big bad and destroy the threat to their world at least temporarily they all escaped except the person who died and one of the npcs who was in the, also in the blast um you know i told him you know look you if you do keep on doing this you're you are going to die and he says, yeah, that's fine. That's what my character wants to do this, blah, blah, blah. So uh, yeah, he died. Um, what I do in my campaign, I usually have players come back at the, on the old school essentials one because it's, we just play for two hours in the evenings. It's a, a fun campaign. If people die, I let them come back with half their experience points, or the experience points of the character that died so they can make a brand new character of any kind just to keep things going. Obviously, you know, they could do raised dead, but they don't have access to that just net yet. Um, in this case, though, because of the way he did it, I've said just you can keep all the experience you've lost. In fact, this is, this will be his fourth or fifth character, I think, in the old school essentials campaign. So, uh, yeah, I, I gave him a special kind of um, remit. Is that the right word? I gave him a special um, um, bonus and said, yeah, you can keep your XP, make up a new character, and you're back uh, next game with whatever type of character you want to play. And you've you've got this, had this new experience. We've finished the adventure. You all nearly died, but somehow you just managed to get out. It was an extremely difficult adventure. If you play it, have a read. It's an excellent adventure, very well done. Extremely difficult to actually um, finish it in a way that is more definitive, more, more um, conclusive. But, um, yeah, I mean, it can be done, but I think it's an extremely difficult module for the levels of players that are going to go, go in there unless they have a lot of firepower or a lot of maybe extra characters, a lot of characters. Um, if they, and this party that went in, they didn't even get into many fights. They got into one serious fight and that just about killed them all. And that was before they even got to the bad guy. Um, the bad guy would have just... Even if they had been on full hit points, it would have probably just just absolutely slaughtered them, unless they were very very lucky. Um, anyways, um, that's enough for this episode. As usual, you know, take care of yourselves, enjoy your games, uh, talk to one another, and uh, you know, try to try to overcome any difficulties, adversities, in a way that uh, that uh, keeps you positive and looking forward to a little bit more. So, till next time, bye bye. Thank you.